Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. God has uh, really blessed us as a church over many, many years. I don't know if you know this, but this church got its start in 1979 and in 1996 actually moved to the location that we're worshiping in right now. We've been able to expand over the years and purchase land over the years. Uh, and so we're in a great spot. God has given us nine acres of land on the Monterey Peninsula, which is incredible. Here's a bird's eye view of the nine acres that we own as a church. Uh, he's given us uh, water rights for future expansion. Uh, he's given us a paid off uh, facility and land. And he's also given us permits for a beautiful new indoor-outdoor pavilion uh, sanctuary. And there it is on the screen. It's actually a real beautiful structure uh, that we might build in the future. Uh, But though God has blessed us with all of these resources, there are some obstacles in front of us uh, right now. And some of them are great. You know, one obstacle is that our attendance uh, on Sunday mornings is nearing pre-COVID levels. And uh, what that does is it creates a little bit of pressure in the kids' space. Uh, It then creates pressure in our main sanctuary seating from time to time, and then it also creates pressure eventually in the parking lot. And our leadership thinks that as we're seeing this trend increase, it's going to continue to increase as the years go by. Uh, Another obstacle that's in front of us, and this shouldn't really be a surprise given the state of the world and the economy over the last few years, but uh, giving has plateaued and slowed down over the last couple of years, not in any kind of catastrophic alarming way. Our financial board is very confident that we can navigate uh, the future, but it has slowed. Well, the price for that pavilion has really increased as construction costs have uh, risen and all of that. Another obstacle that we're uh, dealing with is that our current facility, though beautiful, it does have a fair amount of delayed maintenance uh, and uh, delayed updates uh, that we've kind of waited for to see what we were going to do eventually with that new sanctuary. If you, if you, you don't want to repurpose a space only to use it that way for two or three years, and then you need to repurpose it again. So there have been a few places like that that we've delayed. Uh, And we also have some scattered offices and workspaces kind of all over the place. We've got people working from closets and things like that, and so they're all over the campus. Another hurdle that we have is that our video sanctuary, which we've had for many years at Sanctuary 2, hello to everybody seated in Sanctuary 2, we felt for a long time that a video sanctuary is a great way to expand our seating capacity, provide a smaller venue for people who choose that kind of uh, style of worship. In space, but we felt for a very long time that our video sanctuary is too large uh, in square footage and is also too far away from the rest of the congregation. We'd love for it to be closer and a little bit more size appropriate if possible. And then another last obstacle that's in front of us is that, like many churches uh, who through COVID experience lots of transformation and change and turnover. Uh, We are simultaneously needing to prepare for the future while also reestablish the present-day congregation at the same time. 
Uh, so those are some hurdles that are in front of us, but I want to tell you what our financial team, what our uh, pastoral staff, and what our um, church staff has decided. We've made the decision that we want to delay the pavilion project into the future, and instead, because of the economics, try to creatively and faithfully solve our pressing needs. I'll tell you that the way that we want to try to navigate into the future is by having and making decisions that are a mix between faithfulness and faith, you know, taking steps of faith, but also being good stewards of what God has entrusted into our care. So here's what we are going to do. And by the way, this is not a plea really for finances or anything like that, because what the church is already giving, we can afford the things that I'm about to mention. Uh, number one, to help our seating uh, pressures, we're gonna build a modest balcony here in this main sanctuary, which is going to expand our seating capacity by about 20% here in this space. Uh, while we do that, we're actually also going to take the time to, down here on this main level, uh, build out bigger bathrooms for the men and the women, especially the women. I've heard that there's a long line every single Sunday. So with more seats, it's finally time to expand the bathroom so they'll be on both sides of the lobby uh, when we're finished. Uh, to help the kids' space pressure, we're going to move the fourth and fifth grade classrooms uh, up to our current main level office area. When you leave today, the main sanctuary, there's the welcome center with a little doorway on the left leading to the main office area where a handful of offices are found. We're gonna convert that into a large fourth and fifth and even sixth grade classroom uh, space. And so that will provide more space downstairs for a cornerstone ministry in the church. Uh, to deal with delayed repairs and outdated areas, we're gonna do a modest renovation of the main level to try to continue to have uh, uniformity throughout the campus, uh, an approachability, and I think this increases trust and confidence when people come to the church. Can you take care of my kids? Are you worth listening to? Well, look at this structure. It seems like there's a plan going on here, and so we're going to do a modest renovation that I think is gonna communicate that for years to come. Uh, to make our video sanctuary more appropriate in size and closer to the rest of the church, we're gonna move it to the existing grill space, and there's an image of uh, this new smaller video sanctuary that we're going to create, and I think this will be great. We'll be able to use it for lots of things throughout the week, youth group and uh, smaller ministries that don't need a large cavernous room like this one to meet in. Uh, and to provide a dining space on Sundays, the patio seating is going to be revamped, and part of Sanctuary 2 is going to be used for indoor dining. And to solve the problem of scattered offices, we're moving the main offices to uh, our current Sanctuary 2 to get them kind of out of the central space and off to the periphery of our facility. Like I said, our financial board has approved all of this. They've approved the financing of this project. We don't have the cash on hand to be able to fund all of this, so we are financing it. Uh, we're in the permitting process right now, so it, our hope is that within the next month or two, uh, we'll see uh, phases of this project kind of unfold before our eyes. And additionally, we've acquired a project manager who's doing uh, all of uh, his role at no cost to the church, so massive donation uh, to us. And basically what I wanna say, yeah, some people wanted to applaud the project manager. I'm leaving him nameless because he doesn't need 7,000 uh, suggestions. 
from all of us. <laughs> uh, for those of you who invest already here in God's kingdom, uh, thank you for your giving. That's really important. Uh, some of that is going to be used for this project. A couple of years ago, right before COVID hit, we as a financial board made our last uh, final and big payment to pay off the mortgage that we'd had for many years. And so we're completely debt-free, but we immediately just began acting like we had a mortgage still, and we just kept putting that money away. So we're already prepared to finance and be able to pay for this on a monthly uh, basis. Uh, and uh, the project will probably cost somewhere between uh, the low one millions all the way up to 1.8 or 1.9 million dollars to be able to uh, get done, which is a shock to me, but it's just the way it is in the modern world. Okay, now that said, uh, our hope is that this project does provide an opportunity for the current iteration of the church to have a little more skin in the game than we've ever had before. In other words, to let us as a current generation of the church partake in the church's future in a way that it's not been able to in recent years. In other words, this is my nice way of saying, uh, for a lot of us that are here in this church today, some other generation of this church had the faith to buy the land, had the faith to build the building, had the faith to do all the stuff that they've done so that we could uh, partake of these blessings. And so I'm praying uh, that we'll continue to be faithful in giving so that we can you know, cover this cost and expense. It's, like I said, doable, at least at this point. But I'm also praying that God might move a handful of donors to fund this project in its entirety uh, so that we don't even have to draw on the financing and we can just move forward in a continued way debt-free and see what the future holds regarding a potential pavilion and all of that. So I would be perfectly happy preaching from right here for the next 20 years or so, if you guys will have me, uh, but we'll see what the Lord does in the future. If you want more details about this, I gave a longer form uh, more detailed announcement about this last Sunday night to a handful of folks, and we posted it at calvary.com slash building, and there's actually pamphlets on the way out. If you want the details uh, written out in written form, uh, you can grab those. I'd encourage you to pray over it, ask God to bless your church, and uh, let's see what he does. Obviously, our main desire is to be a disciple-making, Jesus-preaching, Bible-loving, unified, spirit-filled Christian fellowship on the Monterey Peninsula of all places for many years to come. Um, and our hope is that we would be a reproducing church where the extra seats and classroom space and parking, that it's all needed because we've been faithful to the Lord and he's met people where they're at. So that's our prayer. Um, I'm gonna read the text now and actually teach the Bible, which is what I'm here for mostly. And, uh, but after I read the text, I'm gonna pray for this and I wanna ask you guys to join me in prayer. If this is your church, let's pray and ask God to do something above and beyond we, what we've ever seen or ever asked for him to do. All right, let's read the passage and then we'll pray. Paul writing, uh, he said, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. I just wanna pause right here. This text is going to deal with our finances a little bit, and I just want you to know I did not plan uh, putting this text on a Sunday where I was gonna announce what I just announced, but it happened, okay? So I'm sorry, but I didn't plan it. 
Number uh, verse seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Lord, we come to you today, and we ask that you would bless this church abundantly, Lord, that your word would run and have good success, that as we fellowship together, as we grow together in Christ, that we'd be able to share Jesus with our community more and more. And we pray, Lord, and ask that you'd provide for this church to be able to do those things until the day that you return. So we commit, Lord, this project into your hands and ask, Lord, that you would graciously bless us. Uh, Thank you, Lord. Lord, we come to you now and ask that you'd speak to us from your word. Help us to be a people who are sowing to the right things. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Amen. Okay, they tell us that we should invest uh, early and often in uh, our retirement accounts. I realize it's a very first world problem. Uh, And I don't mean to make you feel badly if that's not been your practice or if you're catching up right now or something like that. But I think that that advice, investing, uh, watching something grow, I think that advice uh, is... Uh, a good way to understand the passage that we just read, the little paragraph that we just read. The entire paragraph goes together quite clearly. And what Paul seems to be saying through the paragraph overall is that when we as Christians uh, deposit into the right areas, when we invest in the right things, when we make gospel investments is what I'll call them, uh, what happens is we eventually experience great returns. We sow to the Spirit, we have the Spirit reap everlasting life. So the big question that we should ask from this little paragraph is really simple. Where does the apostolic word say that I should invest? And I think there are three areas that Paul's going to point out, and I'm going to talk about those three areas in a second. But before Considering them, I think that we should notice that at the center of the paragraph, what kind of drives the whole paragraph is this God-ordained principle. Uh, What it states in verse 7 is that God has designed the universe in a certain way. There are certain unalterable laws that God has embedded into the cosmos. And one of them is this. In verse 7, it says, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Uh, in other words, you're not going to see a farmer going out to a field with, uh, you know, uh, some particular seed, like I'm, I'm going to try to grow some wheat right here, put it all in the ground, step back, start watering, and expect that lettuce is going to grow or that apples are going to grow. No, he knows whatever I sow into the ground, I'm going to reap the kind of seed that I put into that ground. That's the way that God has designed the world. Practically speaking, what this means, according to Paul, is found in verse 8. He says, when we sow to our flesh, our baser instincts, our old remnant of sinful desires, when we sow to that, when we invest in that, when we cultivate that, when we feed that, we reap corruption Uh, So decay, death, uh, negative results in our lives. But when we sow to the Spirit, 
the Spirit of God, when we sow to spiritual things, the things that God declares, then we will reap eternal life. Uh, This is an unalterable law, Paul said. That's why he said in verse 7, God is not mocked. It's kind of his way of saying, uh, you can't get out of this. God has locked in this principle into the world in which he made. What we sow, we will reap. Now, this obviously brings us into the world of agriculture again, which might remind you that that's kind of the passage we're in right now. In Galatians 5 and 6, Paul has been saying that we have a flesh, but we also have a spirit. And as we walk in the spirit, as we're led by the spirit, the fruit of the spirit comes out of our lives. So remember I talked about this is a farm, not a factory. He's kind of bringing us back into that same agricultural world. There are things that we sow into that we plant that will grow from our lives. Now, Paul has already told us that when we sow to the spiritual world, sow to the spirit, then things like love and joy and peace and patience, etc., come out of our lives. But here he says, the other side of this truth, that when you sow to the flesh, corruption comes, decay comes. So what we sow today, uh, whether flesh or spirit, it's going to yield results tomorrow. Even the smallest little seed-like investments today of our time, our energy, our finances, our, our mind are going to develop into something, either full-grown life with God or corruption. Now, that principle that I just explained, it's a good principle because God made it, but we get to decide whether it has negative ramifications in our lives or positive ramifications in our lives, right? If we, if we uh, spend our lives sowing to the flesh, then the value of this principle in our lives is negative, right? It's a scary principle. Uh, but if we sow to the Spirit, then the value of this principle in our lives is positive. It's amazing, an amazing principle. All right, so uh, after explaining this principle, my hope is that all of us would say to ourselves, okay, what I want is I want to sow to the Spirit. I want to sow in the right direction. I want to make the right investments. You guys with me up to this point? All right, so now I just want to think about from the passage three areas that Paul talked about to the church that they should invest in if they want to experience that fruit uh, in their lives. And uh, the first uh, investment that this paragraph mentions uh, is, and this is going to be a little awkward for me to talk about, but I got to do this from time to time, uh, investing in our church leadership. Look at verse 6. He says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. All right, I I can't get out of this one. I got to talk about this one. Uh, The great reformer Martin Luther, who was not afraid to say anything. I mean, he like almost single-handedly opposed the Roman Catholic Church during his era and lifetime. He said, I don't like preaching passages like these because it makes it sound like I am benefiting myself when I preach them. And uh, I I can relate to that feeling. Uh, but what I need to say, if I'm going to be faithful to this passage, is that when, when, when in Scripture, when it says a phrase like, share all good things, that is usually a euphemism for financial support. In other words, it's a nicer, more delicate way of saying money. Uh, it, so, so when you're reading that, it's like, it could mean, uh, I'm going to share encouragements with him who teaches. I'm going to share uh, prayer for him who teaches. It might mean those things, 
But I think if you're being faithful biblically, it certainly means uh, financial investment. And if you think about the situation that Paul is in as he wrote to the Galatians, it makes sense why he's thinking this is an important thing for the Galatian church to financially invest in. They had, they had almost traded in the glorious gospel of Jesus for legalism. And the way he pulled them out of it was by explaining the word to them. So he's freshly uh, aware of how valuable, how important this role is in the health and vitality and life of God's people. And as much as this was a massive need in the church in Galatia, it's a need, I think, in our modern world as well. When the word is rightly understood, when, when, we, when we come to a right conclusion about the Bible, uh, what we're coming to a right conclusion about is who God is and who we are in light of God. And when, when you get that, when you understand that, it has major implications in your emotional health, your psychological health, your spiritual health. And I, I think it, it trickles down into your uh, physical health, your relational health, your uh, your time management, it, it affects so much of life if you can understand the truth of God's word well. And so I understand why Paul is saying this is an important thing to invest in. Now, spiritual benefits like those that I just mentioned, they're of great importance to everyday life, so they're worthy of financial support. Uh, Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 11, he said to the Corinthian church, whom he, by the way, refused to receive material goods from, but he said, I do have a right, though, to it. He said, if we have sown spiritual things among you, Corinthians, is it too much if we reap material things from you? In other words, we're laboring in the spiritual dimension, which in Paul's mind is so much more important than the material world. Now, Bible teaching is not the only thing that we need. And uh, Sunday gatherings or church gatherings is not the only place that we need it. Uh, but scripture is vital to the formation of a thriving community of Jesus followers. Uh, one of my favorite moments in any church service is when someone stands up and says, let us turn in our Bibles too. Uh, to me, that phrase is so packed with meaning. Uh, what, it, what it signifies or what it should signify is we are coming under the authority, not of anybody else, not our own mentality, not our own opinions, not even of a pulpit. We're coming under the authority of God and his word. It's such an important uh, part of any church service. And to me, it communicates that we're centering our lives upon the word, just like a village that's situated at the fountainhead of an ever-flowing stream has everything that it needs to sustain life. So a church that is centered upon scripture has access to its life-giving nourishment. And so I think this is part of the reason why Paul said here to the Galatians, uh, share in all good things with him who teaches you. Now, when Paul wrote this, uh, this was not the only time, this was not a brand new concept that Paul was communicating. This isn't the first time in the Bible that this kind of idea is held out. And I'll just rattle off a handful for you guys today. I don't wanna give you an exhaustive list or anything. But all, since all the way back in the days of the Exodus, uh, the spiritual workforce for the people of Israel, the priesthood, they expected both to work hard, but also to be compensated, supported for that work. 
And what the Bible says in the New Testament, just in case you're thinking, well, that phase is over, that era is over. Well, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said it this way. He said, in the same way that God did it for the priesthood in the Old Testament, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Okay, so that's just one thing to consider. Uh, in another place, in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sent his disciples out two by two to preach, he told them to eat and drink what other people provided for them. And he said this, he said, because the laborer deserves his wages. Uh, then in Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus was rebuking the religious leaders for their hypocrisy, he told them that to, if, to not be hypocritical, they should have focused more on justice and mercy and faithfulness all while maintaining their practice of tithing everything that they had right down to their herbs and spices. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 5, when Paul appealed to the church to support their pastoral team, he said this. He said in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, he said, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says... You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves its wages. Quoting from Leviticus and then quoting from the life and ministry of Jesus. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1 to 14, Paul gave eight reasons why a gospel worker had a right, he called it, to eat, build a family, and refrain from other work so that they could focus on the ministry. And while Paul made that long, long argument, one of the things that he said was, soldiers fight wars that other people pay for. Farmers eat the fruit of the crops that they grow, and ranchers get milk from the flocks they tend. And in Paul's mind, worthy gospel workers can also be provided for since they are fighting the good fight, they are teaching or tending God's field, and they are protecting God's flock. Um, now, obviously, there are and have been so many abuses in this particular area. For me, I just don't even like to teach about this kind of thing because of the abuses that exist. Basically, for me, if you're like new to the church and you're like, this is like my third sermon that I've heard here, is this gonna be like a one out of every three sermons? It's not. Uh, basically, for me, I mean, even my financial board gets on my case sometimes. They're like, you need to talk about this like a little bit more often. Uh, but for me, it's just, I just don't touch it until it comes up. And then when it does come up, I do a deep dive because it's like this is my one chance to explain this to everybody, a real discipleship moment. But there are abuses, and I think that's why I'm so hesitant to talk about it at times. One, one abuse comes from the teachers. Are they lazy? You know, do they take advantage of God's people? I think a great correction to this abuse comes from Paul the Apostle, who when he wrote to pastors in 2 Timothy chapter 2 said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's what you want to look for. I'm not going to be your pastor forever. I'm not planning on going anywhere, but you know, life just changes and you guys will move and you'll be looking for new churches and stuff like that. And when you do, look for a worker. You're not looking for someone who's merely talented or gifted or funny. I love his stories. You know, you're not, that's not what you're looking for primarily. You know, I, uh, you're not looking for someone who's, who's handsome, although I know that many of you, you know, here. It can be a secondary thing if it has to be, but what you're looking for is a worker. You're looking to, to hear this, this person, what, what they did is they... To, 
they did, they did the work of going into the world of the Bible for me so that they could build a bridge into my modern world so that I could bring the Bible into my everyday life. That's what you're looking for. That's the kind of worker you're looking for. But some people aren't like that. Another abuse uh, comes from hearers. Uh, some congregations have tried to control their preachers by the paycheck. You know, say what we want you to say. Don't say what we don't want you to say. Tickle our ears. And good teachers have to resist pressure like that, but good churches don't create that pressure in the first place. Now, when we do this, when we invest in this area, we are giving a gift in a lot of directions. We're giving a gift, of course, to those who are teaching. We're freeing them up to be able to do that work. We're also giving a gift to our community. One of the best things that you can give to the Monterey Peninsula are our Bible teachers uh, because of the value that they add to the community that they're in. It's a form of kindness to the world that you live in. And when you invest in this area, you're giving back to yourself because you are going to be ministered to, but you're also shifting your relationship with the church from consumer to investor. And it just changes everything for you. All right, so I know that was a deep dive. Before I move on, I just want to say thank you to those of you who are faithful givers here in the church. Uh, years ago, the passage from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, where Paul tells Timothy to immerse himself in the study of the word, uh, the preaching of the word, uh, those, those are like life verses for me. And uh, because of your faithfulness, uh, I and other pastors here have been able to throw ourselves into the work that God has asked us to do. I was actually thinking about it even as I prepared this message. There were some trickier parts of this passage that I didn't fully understand. And so I consulted 40 different commentaries and scholars about this passage to try to get it right for you. And I just thought I could never do that if I had another job that I needed to also take care of. So I'm thankful to you for that privilege. Plus you bought me a lot of those books too. So thank you for that as well. <laughs> All right. The second area that we should invest in is uh, directly to the spirit and the spiritual dimension. Again, in verse eight, Paul wrote, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap ever, uh, everlasting or eternal life. Okay, when, when, when you read that, you know, maybe your basic reaction should be, uh, I want to sow to the Spirit. How do I do that? How, what does it look like to sow to the Spirit? Well, one way to figure out how or what sowing to the Spirit looks like is to ask the question, what does it look like to sow to the flesh? Uh, sowing to the flesh means that you're feeding the desires of your old sinful nature. What, what does that look like? Um, I found a quote from John Stott. He was an English theologian in the 20th century, and uh, he said it was some real straight talk. He said, the seeds we sow to the flesh are largely thoughts and deeds. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day, and wonder why they're not reaping holiness. Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. 
right? So straight talk, but uh, very appropriate. You know, it's, it's important for us to be sowing in the right direction. Now, this concept of choosing not to sow to the flesh or not to indulge to the flesh, it's actually a challenging concept for us in our modern time. Uh, because we live in a world that's filled with catchphrases and quick advice that tells us that we, what we should do is we should, we should follow our impulses. We should follow our passions. Uh, the desire for pleasure is often held out as the chief pursuit of humanity. We're told that the heart wants what it wants, uh, that we should follow our heart. Uh, you do you, speak your truth, be true to yourself, you know, kinds of uh, words of advice. What, what are we to do with advice like that? Uh, because if we're honest, there are plenty of times that our desires are at, are at odds with Scripture. There are things I, I want to do, and they're at odds with what the Bible says. Do, so the question is, does this mean that what Christianity teaches is that obedience to God is always disobedience to the self? It, it, is that what Christianity is? And I think to answer that, I'd, I'd actually have to say, yes, it's that, and also, no, it's not that. Yes, it is that in the sense that self-denial is a major part of Christianity. You know, Jesus, when he called his disciples, he said, every day, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after me. So that's a huge part of the Christian life and Christian growth. But it's also not only that. Because when we are born again by simple faith in the gospel, we receive a new nature. And that part of us, that new nature within us, that spirit-enlivened new creature within us, it wants so much more than, it has deeper desires than the desires of the flesh. So in one sense, for Jesus' followers, the question is not whether to follow our heart or not, Instead, the question is, what heart will we follow? Uh, what desires will we yield to? Those of the flesh or those of the spirit? Uh, for, for instance, um, I, have a, I have desires for Red's Donuts. I love Red's Donuts. I love black licorice. Uh, I, love, I love ice cream. I love Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I can put down a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream without taking a breath. It's no problem for me at all. And uh, in their proper time, occasionally, in other words, those desires are fine. Uh, but every morning, donuts, and every night, black licorice and a pint of Ben and Jerry's, that is not the proper time. Now, if you were to ever come over to my house and say, I have some Ben and Jerry's ice cream right here, I have some black licorice right here, do you want this? I'd probably, a hundred times out of a hundred times, I would say, I do. I do have that want, I do have that desire, but I have a deeper desire. You know, I have a, I have a deeper desire to be, have some measure of physical fitness. I have a deeper desire to be able to be 70 years old and hike up Jack's Peak. I have deeper desires, if God gives me grandchildren someday, to be able to tickle them and wrestle them and play with them and stuff like that. I have, I have, I have baser desires, but I have deeper desires. And those are my, those are my truer desires. I think that's a great analogy or a great picture of what the New Testament teaches. According to the New Testament, if you're a new creature in Christ, your holy desires are the true and deepest you. 
And so when the flesh comes along and is saying, no, you, you don't want those things, you want these things, what you can know is, no, that's actually not the truest version of me. There's a new creature that I am in Christ who actually wants something so much better than those things. And when you obey those desires, the deeper desires, when you invest in the things of the Spirit, Paul said that you could expect, verse eight, an ever-increasing harvest of eternal life. Now, when Paul said that, that's not his way of saying, uh, if you're a really good person, then you're gonna go to heaven one day. <laughs> if that's what Paul was saying here in Galatians 6, verse eight, he would have destroyed the whole book of Galatians with that one sentence. He's been preaching that that's not the case all the way up to this point. What he's saying is, that if you've believed in the gospel, investing in the spirit while crucifying the flesh, it helps you tap into the life of God right now. You get to experience the goodness of it today. So how do we make these investments in the spirit? How do we walk in the spirit? How do we put up our sails to catch his, uh, his wind? Well, one way that we catch the wind of the spirit is through having times of prayer. I just want to encourage you guys in this for just a moment. I hear from a lot of people who will tell me that they've read, they might not even know that it's from 1 Thessalonians 5.17, but it's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. It says to pray without ceasing. It's a beautiful concept. It's a beautiful word. We should pray without ceasing. What that means is all day long, our, our Wi-Fi, so to speak, can be connected we can, we can have that cellular signal with God. We can be in constant communication with God. But what I've found is that I've talked to a lot of people over the years where that is kind of their, their standard default way of saying, I don't actually have any kind of like set aside designated time of prayer. I just kind of pray all day long. And that's great, you should. But if you study the life of Jesus, whom we're all wanting to become like, Jesus definitely had designated times of prayer. He would go away, he would cry out to God on behalf of his disciples or the masses. There were things that he was bringing to his Father in heaven. And I, would want, I want to encourage you in that direction. For some of you, there are things in your character or nature that you would love to see God change or transform. I would encourage you to find Bible verses that relate to those changes. Write them down in a prayer journal and every day make sure that you have a time where you are praying those prayers. You're gonna watch God turn and change and transform your life and heart. It's one way to sow to the Spirit and of the Spirit reap eternal life. Another perhaps way to uh, sow to the Spirit is by Christian fellowship. Um, we live in a time where it's very easy, easy to make a decision to isolate ourselves. Even in a church like this, you can come to a large gathering and choose not to connect on any small, smaller kind of level. But when we're alone, <clears throat> uh, a lot of times our tendencies uh, are exacerbated in our aloneness. In other words, selfishness gets its way. Uh, sensual lust gets its way engaging in foolish controversies that like uh, uh, just a friend that's alive and with you who's like, whoa, whoa, why are you reading all that stuff right now? That's crazy. Like come over here kind of thing, engaging in that it happens alone quite often. Overspending happens alone. Worshiping our children happens alone when we disconnect from others in Christ. So many sins blossom when we disconnect from the body of Christ. 
Uh, but in intentional community, uh, we're sowing to the Spirit. We're making that decision, and, and we'll, we'll reap the results. God will flourish our lives. So there's a lot of ways that this can work. Bible study, fasting, secrecy and good deeds, worship, generosity, solitude, uh, silence. But we've got thousands of decisions to make is what I'm saying. Uh, Donald Campbell said it this way. He said, each sower decides what his harvest will be. Okay, let me conclude, though, with one last small little area that we should invest in, and it's just this. We should invest uh, in our community, uh, and I don't mean just like our larger community. I mean the people that God has placed in our lives. Paul said it this way in verse 9 and 10. He said, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Okay, here, here in this last part of this paragraph where Paul is telling us to invest in the right spaces, uh, he tells us that we should be a people who do good to everyone. Um, this is great. It fits the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was indiscriminate in the way that he did good to the people in the world, in the place in which he ministered. In other words, or for instance, when Jesus fed the 5,000, uh, there was no doctrinal test. There was no, like, if I do this for you, then you have to listen to me talk to you for a little while. It was just, I'm going to do a miracle. I'm going to bless you guys. I'm going to feed you guys. And I'm indiscriminate in who I'm doing it for. You're here, so you get to receive it. And uh, Paul is saying a similar thing here. He's saying as Christians, we should be thinking about how can we be a blessing to the people in our community, whether they're believers or not. Uh, but then he did say that we should especially be thinking about, he said, those who are, he said in verse 10, of the household of faith. We should. We should be considering them. And uh, he said that the good we're to do is to be regulated by opportunity. In other words, none of us has unlimited time or resources. So when we can, he's saying, we should do good. Uh, now this... Uh, Goodwill, it takes a lot of forms, you know, practical help, words of encouragement, sacrificial service, but it'll often take the form of financial generosity, and that is the context of this entire passage. Now, this is the context of everything we've looked at today. We're to invest financially in church leadership, we're to invest financially in spirit-endorsed ministry, and we're to invest financially in those in need, especially those in the church. Now, when I say all this stuff, it might feel a little bit overwhelming to some of you. And if it does, I would remind you that Paul said, first of all, we should do it when we have opportunity. So he's kind of taking a little of the pressure off. You can't save the whole world, but when there are opportunities God presents to you, then do it then. Uh, but I'd also offer to you the same encouragement that Paul gave to the Galatians. And this is where we'll wrap up today. He said, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. There's a lot of you here in this room, you have dedicated vast portions of your life to serving others, to doing good for others, to ministering to others. And I guarantee you that there have been plenty of pockets of your life where you have grown weary in that giving. It's cost you, it's painful. And it can be. It can be painful to sacrifice. Sometimes your sacrifices are taken for granted. You're not appreciated for the things that you've given. 
And this can lead to a weariness in your soul. And sometimes your body is weary, your just energy is low because of all that you've been doing for someone else. Sometimes it's your spirit or your psyche that is worn down. Often it's your whole person that's fatigued. And when that weariness comes upon you, the scripture holds out a refreshing reminder. Paul said, keep sowing, keep investing, because one day you will reap a harvest. That's the promise there. Don't grow weary in doing good for in due season you will reap if you do not give up. Don't give up, don't give in because fruit is coming. You know, Jesus foresaw many sons and daughters coming to know God through his hard work. And I think we have to envision a similar thing, a future harvest that will come if we do not lose heart. I, I see this happen a lot of times with those who are younger in the Lord or younger in age. And they, they come to Jesus and they wanna see these like massive monumental results happen within a number of months. And my encouragement is always just keep sowing, keep putting into the right things because over time, you're going to see an exponential fruitfulness that comes out of your life if you do. And that brings me to the Mother's Day uh, encouragement or exhortation that I wanted to give to wrap up our day today. Moms, do not, as Paul said, grow weary in doing the good and hard work of raising babies into adulthood. That is a challenging job. And then after they're adults, loving them as their lives continue to evolve and they stress you out with the decisions that they are making as adults. It's far easier to get discouraged or overwhelmed and to give up and to check out, but a harvest is coming in due season if you keep working, if you keep discipling, if you keep disciplining, if you keep sacrificing, if you keep praying, if you keep blessing, if you keep teaching, if you keep displaying the gospel, a harvest will come. Do not give up because one day a harvest will come. Believe God for that harvest that is coming. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the way that you have designed the world in which we live. Help us not to buck against it, but to accept it, Lord. Help us to have the faith to make these investments. It's hard for us, Lord, to pour out. And so, Lord, we pray for the faith. And then, Lord, we ask that you would show us what you do. Lord, your faithfulness as you provide for us, as you give us fruitfulness, Lord, we, we are asking for that harvest to come. So Lord, we commit our lives into your hands afresh this Sunday. And we again pray a special blessing upon all the mothers that are here today and ask that you give them endurance to run the race that is set before them. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.